Okay, so whatever we're going to read, and it's not always clean. It's not always like each book has like one type of genre, you know. It's kind of mixed. But we got to think about what are we reading. So Proverbs, it's, what is it? The book of Proverbs, it's not primarily history. It's not primarily prophecy. It's not primarily narrative, like a story. It's primarily wisdom literature. Okay, why do we need wisdom literature? What's the purpose of Proverbs? Well, it says in chapter 1, basically to sum it up, the purpose of wisdom literature is to help you not live a foolish life. It's to help you live a wise life and to make wise decisions, have discipline, have success in your life. That's literally what it says, to think like the wise, to act like the wise. And so um, when was this book written? Uh, This book was written 10th century B.C. Um, In other words, Moses had led people through from slavery in Egypt. Joshua led people into the land. Samson was one of the judges. There's a cycle of sin. And then the first king of Israel took the 12 tribes and united the people of Israel as one united kingdom. Who was the first king of Israel? King Saul. Yep, that's awesome. King Saul unites the kingdom of Israel. The next king is? King David, and the next king is King Solomon, who was the wisest person who ever lived. First king says that he wrote 3,000 Proverbs. So this Proverbs, if you've never really read the book of Proverbs before, it's a genre that's critically important to living a good life and navigating life, okay? So who wrote this? Primarily King Solomon, it says in chapter 1. It also mentions uh, the Council of the Wise. So there's possibly this group of wise people that came together and collaborated. There's also a guy in chapter 30 named Agur, son of Jacob. And in chapter 31, what we're going to read in just a second, there's a guy named Lemuel who's also attributed to writing some of this. So there's multiple authors, okay? But this is wisdom literature. It's going to help you live a wise life and not live a foolish life. And we're going to pick up Proverbs chapter 31, starting in verse 1. This is the word of God. The words of King Lemuel, a pronouncement that his mother taught him. What should I say, my son? What, son of my wound? What, son of my vows? Don't spend your energy on women or your efforts on those who destroy kings. So King Lemuel writes this, and he gets this wisdom from his mother. Shout out to the moms. Mom knows best. Apparently his mom did too. So there's obviously differences that when you're interpreting the Bible. One of the things you've got to understand is there are what you see in the passage, and there's differences between the person it was written to and people today. For example, I'm not a king. <laughs> you're not a king, right? So you have to find at times a principle that applies to people then and people now, people in that place, people in this place, people who are kings or not kings. you got to find what is true for all people. So as we're reading this, when, when she tells her son, don't spend your energy on women or your efforts on those who destroy kings, here's the principle that you and I need to hear from his mom, inspired by God. It's this, avoid sexual immorality. This is wisdom from mom. Son, avoid sexual immorality. And this is talked about all throughout Proverbs. So I'm just going to read one section, Proverbs 5, 3 through 14. This is written from the uh, perspective of a father to his son. So what you're going to hear uh, about women 
is also true about men, but it's written from father to his son. That's why it says this. Uh, Though the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey, and her words are smoother than oil, in the end, she's as bitter as wormwood and as sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps head straight for Sheol. She doesn't consider the path of life. She doesn't know that her ways are unstable. So now, sons, listen to me and don't turn away from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. Otherwise, you will give up your vitality to others and your years to someone cruel. Strangers will drain your resources and your hard-earned pay will end up in a foreigner's house. At the end of your life, you will lament when your physical body has been consumed and you will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart despised correction. I didn't obey my teachers or listen closely to my instructors. I'm on the verge of complete ruin before the entire community. This is what God has inspired people in Proverbs to write about, that sexual immorality can ruin your life. It has terrible consequences. So a couple of things. God is the creator of sex. Y'all were supposed to say amen. Nobody? Anybody? Okay. <laughs> I figured some guys in here would say amen. Nobody say amen. Uh, God is the creator of sex. He, he created it as a gift to humans. But God gave this gift to us in the context of a man and a woman, one man, one woman, in a covenant relationship. That's when sex can uh, help create passion and intimacy and commitment between spouses. But any sexual activity, any outside of that context, the Bible says it becomes destructive to us, even if it's very pleasurable, even if it seems like that's love, anything outside of that, it's destructive to us and to others, and it's disobedience to God. That's just what the Bible says. I know that's not very popular right now in our culture. But this message, this idea of avoiding sexual immorality is really needed today. For example, according to a nationally representative survey of U.S. teens, if you're a teenager, listen to this, it's interesting, 84% of 14 to 18-year-old males and 57% of 18, or 14 to 18-year-old females have viewed pornography. 84% of boys, 57% of girls, 14 to 18, have viewed pornography. This is affairs. According to a survey by Ashley Madison, I don't know if you guys remember that, the dating website for people who wanted to have affairs. That's the whole purpose of the website. 25% of their respondents, 25%, identified themselves as born-again evangelical Protestants. 25%. We need this wisdom. This isn't just like, oh, yeah, church, and all we know this. No, we need this wisdom. So if you're currently living in sexual immorality, any, any type of sexual sin, if you're looking at other people lustfully in your heart, a sexual sin, if you're looking at pornography, if you're messing around with your boyfriend or girlfriend, if you're acting upon same-sex desires that you have, if you're having affairs and flirting with other people, if you're doing any of those things according to this book, I'm just delivering the mail, it's sin and it's hurting you and other people. And yet, if that's where you're at today, I want you to hear this. God's grace is bigger than your biggest sin. 
you're never too far gone. As someone whose biggest sin struggle in life has been sexual immorality, let me testify to the grace of God. You can experience healing. Your brain literally can be rewired to overcome what you've experienced. And God can heal you as well. So I want you to know, you're not too far gone. But you've got to have a change of mind. So don't hear me say, God loves you, there's grace for you, just keep sinning. Because I'm not saying that. You can come as you are in casual t-shirts and pants, but God isn't going to keep you where you are. If you come to Jesus, he's going to change your mind about sin. So God's grace is bigger than your sin, but you got to change your mind and say, God, I don't want this anymore. I've sinned against you. I want to live a different life. Empower me to help me honor you with my sexuality. For some of us, I think, and this is where I've been before, we just play around with it. We just think, ah, oh, it's just a little sin, just a little sexual sin. And it's like a little puppy dog, but that thing's going to grow up and it's going to be big. And it's going to be problematic in your life, I know, from experience. And so some of us, we got we to gotta sound more like Jesus. When Jesus says, gouge your eye out and cut your hand off if it causes you to sin, we need some drastic action to kill sexual sin in our life. If you got to delete social media, which is such, that's the weakest, lamest thing, right? Like deleting social media. Oh man, I'm going to take a drastic step. If you got to delete social media, delete it today. If you got to get rid of your smartphone and go back to a flip phone, get a different phone today. Be very careful about who you spend one-on-one -on -one time with. Be very careful about who you DM and who you text message with and no one else knows about it. Be very careful about getting flirty with people. Avoid sexual morality. This is the first thing that, that King uh, Lemuel's mother starts with. And then she warns him of a second temptation in verse 4. Proverbs uh, 31, verse 4. It is not for kings, Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire beer. Otherwise he will drink, forget what is decreed, and pervert justice for all the oppressed. Give beer to the one who's dying, and wine to the one whose life is bitter. Let him drink so that he can forget his poverty and remember his trouble no more. So again, there's some differences between us and King Lemuel between the intoxicants of his day and the intoxicants of our day. But here's the principle. Here's the thing that's true then. His mom was saying then. It's the thing that's true for every single person today. It's this. Avoid being intoxicated. Avoid being intoxicated. I think we got a slide for this. Let's throw it up on the screen. Uh, th this, again, it's taught all throughout Proverbs. I don't want you to think I'm just like wrongly interpreting this, so I'm going to read you some verses here. Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, beer a brawler. Whoever goes astray because of them is not wise. Proverbs 23, 19 through 21. Listen, my son, and be wise. Keep your mind on the right course. Don't associate with those who drink too much wine. Man, for Northern Virginia, that's a tough one. Whew. Proverbs 23, 29 to 35. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has conflicts? 
Who has complaints? Who has wounds for no reason? Who has red eyes? Those who linger over wine. Those who go looking for mixed wine. Don't gaze at wine because it's red, because it gleams in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. And you will say absurd things. Is this not true? (laughs) You'll be like someone sleeping out at sea or lying down on the top of a ship's mast. They struck me, but I feel no pain. They beat me, but I didn't know it. When will I wake up? Or when, yeah, when will I wake up? I'll look for another drink. (laughs) So, you and I, if we're going to listen to mom on Mother's Day today, we need to avoid being intoxicated. And obviously not by just wine or beer. Any intoxicant, anything, marijuana, painkillers, hardcore drugs, anything, liquor, anything at all that can cause your mind to not be sober. That's the whole point, right? If you're not sober-minded, what the Bible says, if you're not able to think straight and make good decisions, if it's impairing your ability to do that, avoid it. Avoid it. Don't, don't play games with it. Now, a couple of things to qualify this. Followers of Jesus can drink alcohol, okay? And where, there's the amen for y'all as well. I teed it up for you. It's a little softball style. Um, followers of Jesus can drink alcohol. Why? Because Jesus did. I could move on now, but I'll give a couple more reasons. Because Jesus did. Jesus drank wine. Jesus turned water to wine. Paul told Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach if it's ailing you. So wine is not a bad thing. Alcohol is not necessarily a a bad thing. It can be a good thing. It's kind of like sex, having sex outside of God's design for it. So drinking alcohol is not a sin. However, getting drunk is a sin. Paul in Ephesians 5 says that to get uh, drunk is a sin. It's debauchery. So Again, in general, avoid anything that's going to impair your ability to think properly. Again, this is not like some detached old thing that doesn't have any relevance for today. This is very relevant for today. In 2020, 10.2% of Americans aged 12 and older had alcohol use disorder. 10% of Americans, 12 and older, had alcohol use disorder. Since 2000, nearly 1 million people have died from a drug overdose. That's a lot of people. It's, it's roughly 700,000. 70% of users who try an illegal drug before age 13 develop a substance abuse disorder within the next seven years. These are just some statistics that I went to health organizations and pulled these statistics from. It's very clear, and I think we all know from our family members, people who get intoxicated, regardless of what the substance is, it affects their life. This is basic. This is simple. We have to be wise. We can't just do what everybody else is doing. So if you are the kind of person right now that you're hearing this and you're thinking, man, that's me. I, I get intoxicated. I repeatedly struggle with this. Regardless of what your intoxicant of choice is, I want to say to you, get help. Don't try to overcome it on your own. Don't try to say, oh, I can quit whenever I want to. No, if you could, you would about now. You're not as strong as you think. 
Uh, New Life has a Celebrate Recovery ministry. It meets on Friday nights at 7. If you really need help with this, you need community. You need other people to come around you. And we want to connect you to people like that. Uh, I've been to CR meetings before. It's been really helpful for me. Um, We'd love to get you connected. Uh, If you feel guilty about your problem, if you feel shame because of how your family looks at you, the moment that you turn, just the moment you turn, I'm not even saying you get clean, the moment you turn to God with a humble and broken heart, he's running towards you. God will run to you if you have a problem with intoxicants, if you turn to him. You can have healing, but you got to respond. So King Lemuel's mother starts by telling him what not to do. Two things. Don't, don't do this. Don't do these things. Avoid sexual immorality and avoid being intoxicated. Don't do those things. Now she's going to leave him with what to do. So here's the positive thing of what to do, uh, starting in verse 8. Speak up for those who have no voice, for the justice of all who are dispossessed. Speak up, judge rightly, and defend the cause of the oppressed and needy. So the third thing that she tells him, the principle is this. Seek justice. Seek justice. If we're going to listen to what God is saying through King Lemuel's mother, if we're going to live a wise life, we need to seek justice for people. This is actually, there's more passages about justice in Proverbs than sexual immorality and alcohol combined. As I was reading through it this week, I was kind of shocked by this. Let me read you a couple just so you can get a sense. Proverbs 14.31, the one who oppresses the poor person insults his maker. But the one who is kind to the needy honors him. Proverbs 15.25, the Lord tears apart the house of the proud, but he protects the widow's territory. That's what God does. Proverbs 19.17, kindness to the poor is a loan to the Lord. When you give money to the poor, you're giving God a loan, and he will give a reward to the lender. Proverbs 21.13, the one who shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also call out and not be answered. Did you realize that? You shut your ears to the cry of the poor, people's ears are going to get shut to your cry. Proverbs 22, 22 through 23, don't rob a poor person because he is poor and don't crush the oppressed at the city gate. Why? For the Lord will champion their cause and will plunder those who plunder them. God will champion the, the cause of the poor and needy. Uh, Proverbs 23, 10 through 11, don't move an ancient, ancient boundary marker. Don't encroach on the fields of the fatherless, orphans, for their redeemer is strong and he will champion their cause against you. Those who don't have parents, kids, foster care, whatever the situation may be, orphans, God will champion their cause. Uh, Proverbs, two more. I just think there's, this is, there's so much in Proverbs about this. Proverbs 28, 27. The one who gives to the poor will not be in need, but the one who turns his eyes away will receive many curses. Did you realize that you would be cursed by turning away from the, the needs of the poor? Whew, I didn't, I didn't know that myself when I read that. I was like, dang, whew. Proverbs 29, 7, this last one. The righteous person knows the rights of the poor, 
but the wicked one does not understand these concerns. Hmm, interesting. The difference between the righteous and unrighteous is they understand the concerns of those who are oppressed and in need. So here's what we got to do. We got to seek justice. If we're going to be people of the book, we got to do what the book says. We got to seek justice. Now, again, let me make some qualifying statements. I'm not talking about Karl Marx's uh, idea of justice. I'm not talking about equality of outcomes for groups of people, and the way we get there is by taking from some groups and giving to others. That is, by definition, social justice. I don't have time to like draw this whole thing out. This could be a whole sermon or series because this is a really hot-button thing in our day. But I'm talking about biblical justice. I'm talking about when we read the Bible and we see people do justice and we're told what justice is about, we got to do that. We don't have an option. You, you're commanded to. I'm commanded to. We've got to seek biblical justice. So um, this, again, I just think it's important that we understand what this book says is relevant for today. 12% of the U.S. population lives in poverty. That's the U.S. Census Bureau. That's nearly 40 million Americans. 40 million Americans live in poverty. We have a wealth of opportunity to help the poor. 94% of people who spent time in prison will leave, and two out of every three will be back in prison within three years. Prison fellowship. That's who Meg works with. Two out of every three? Back in prison within three years? There are roughly 443,000 kids in foster care in the United States. 443,000. The CDC said that in uh, 2020 in the U.S., there were 620,327 babies who were aborted. 620,327 babies were aborted in one year. So if you haven't been seeking justice, if this is not something that, if you don't actually concern yourself with the rights and needs of the poor and the oppressed, um, here's what I would, I would just say. I would say, God, he gave up <laughs> the riches of heaven for you. God adopted you into his family. God knew you in his mother's womb. Your whole life, God has been championing your cause. He's been seeking justice for you. And is that enough for you? Is it enough that God has done all those things for you? If it is, then you'll go and do likewise to others. We've got to be this, this kind of church, this kind of people. We help people. We've got to leave comfort and security, convenience, maybe paying a little bit less on things that are frivolous and that we really don't need and giving that money to people in need. Um, giving up time, maybe i got to cut something. What do I need to cut out of my schedule to make time for people who are poor? Or maybe to serve at a pregnancy, crisis pregnancy clinic. You know, what, what does that look like for me? Whatever it is uh, for you and me, we just got to start small, okay? We got to do for at least one person what we wish we could do for everybody. What can you do for one orphan, one widow, one prisoner, one poor person? A concrete step that you could take by faith. This is what King Lemuel's mother taught him. 
avoid sexual immorality, avoid being intoxicated, and seek justice. And it actually sounds a lot like pure and undefiled religion. James 1, keep oneself unstained from the world and care for orphans and widows in their distress. Sound, sound familiar? It's the exact same thing. Pure and undefiled religion. We just learned it from mom. So I want to give you a couple of seconds. Go ahead and pull out your phone, a journal, a piece of paper, something, and write down what you hear, how you're going to obey, who you're going to share with. The reason I want to encourage you to write it down is I know for myself, if I don't write it down, I'm going to forget it. If I forget it, I'll show up to church next Sunday, and whoever's speaking is going to say, hey, turn to your neighbor and share how you obeyed God, what he revealed last week, and I'm going to sit there and say, oh, I didn't do it. I forgot. So I want to encourage you. Don't be a dingus like me and forget and write this stuff down, okay? So go ahead, take 30 seconds. What did you hear God saying to you through his word, through his spirit? How are you going to obey? What's a concrete step that you can take to kill sexual sin, to change your relationship with intoxicants, or to seek justice for people in need? And then who's somebody you can share this with? Say, hey, I learned this at church the other day. I thought it was really powerful. I wanted to share it with you. Just take like one part of something from this passage Share it with somebody else. All right, ready? Go. There was another mother who knew best in scripture, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Why do I say that? Well, there was a a day, a Friday, roughly AD 33, when Jesus of Nazareth hung on a cross. He'd been accused of blasphemy by Jewish leaders of his day. They couldn't kill him because the Romans occupied their land. So they had to accuse Jesus of starting an insurrection against the Roman government. And 
because of that, Jesus was tried, found guilty of crimes he didn't commit, and he was crucified on a cross. Jesus had 12 apostles, sent ones, his closest followers, 11 of the 12 abandoned him. 11 of the 12. And the one who was there to write about it, John, said this when he saw the scene. Standing by the cross of Jesus was his mother. Mary knew that she had to be there for her son. She couldn't abandon him. She stood by her son in his hour of greatest need. Mary saw Jesus take his first breath as a baby, and she saw him take his last breath on the cross. And on that cross, Jesus accomplished something for you and me that we couldn't do on our own. So if you hear me saying, you know, be sexually pure, be sober-minded, do good things for people, however you're hearing it, you cannot do enough good for God to love you or forgive you of your sins. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we can't perfectly do this, and Jesus did. Jesus never had a sinful thought or action when it came to sexual immorality. Jesus never was intoxicated. Jesus always sought justice for people perfectly. Jesus lived a perfect life. And he went to the cross and he shed his blood as a sacrifice to take away the sins of the world. And when you turn to Jesus and trust him, it doesn't matter how bad you've messed up. It doesn't matter where you're at. You can have your sins forgiven. You can have a new heart. You can live now and forever. You can have a relationship with God because of what Jesus did at the cross. So if today you have not responded, uh, there's a baptism banner over there. There's a, there's a prayer banner as well. We're going to have some people at the prayer banner if you want to pray in a second. When we take communion, we're going to take communion together. And then we're also going to make space to pray. And if you want someone to pray with you, there will be people back there. Go there and, and pray with them during communion. Um, I know that um, at least one person is going to be baptized today, uh, Sandy. And so that's going to happen in between services. And so we got the water ready. If you've never been baptized, if you've never submitted yourself and said, I want the old me to die by faith, and I want the new me to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, today can be your day. You can know God. You can have forgiveness. you got to respond. Turn to Jesus today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for mothers. God, thank you for the wisdom of King Lemuel's mother. Lord, help us by faith and the power of the Holy Spirit to avoid sexual immorality, to avoid being intoxicated, and to seek justice. Help us to be that kind of church. Help us to be those, those kind of families, that kind of people. And Lord, for anyone who has not turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, I believe you rose from the dead. I need you. I need you to save me because I can't do enough good. I'm never going to be good enough. I need you to save me. I need you to change me there's anyone that's on the fence today, Holy Spirit, would you nudge them? Would you give them that encouragement to know that you're waiting with open arms? We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.